right into a new series for two weeks called Lift. And, uh, you know, as I was praying about the new series coming out of the well, and by the way, how many of you enjoyed the well last weekend at Higher Vision Church? Was that not awesome? All weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Sunday night was amazing. And um, I had a certain topic that I was going to jump into, and I've decided to push that back into the month of November. And you know, one of the things that, that we did last weekend is we launched the new worship album at Higher Vision. How many of you got the, the new For Your Kingdom worship album? Isn't that awesome? Um, you may not know this, but the opening day that it launched, we were the number 10 selling Christian album on iTunes. Is that not awesome? And so I want to encourage you, if you haven't gotten it, you need to get it. And as we've been talking about this, really this heart of worship, Sunday night we talked about really the birthing of a worship movement. The Lord just kind of stirred in my heart to take that worship theme and teach on it. I'm going to share with you something I shared on Saturday morning. I'm going to kind of expand it a little bit, and then we're going to continue on next week with another message. I want you to stand to your feet, if you will, as we honor the reading of God's Word. I want to welcome all of you that are joining us in places like Colorado, Latvia, San Francisco. Can you welcome all your church family that's joining us online? Isn't that great? We're going to read in 1 Timothy, and guys, I realized I gave you the wrong address. It's 1 Timothy 2.8, if you could make that change for the next service. How many know everybody? Everybody makes mistakes. Come on. Everybody has those days. Come on now, y'all. If you've made a mistake, wave at me. Come on. All right. Some of you didn't wave your hand. You made your first one right now. Cheap joke. I use it all the time. All right. Here we go. I want us to read this verse together. You ready? Everyone out loud, those of you joining us online. In every place of worship, I want men to pray with holy hands lifted up to God, free from anger and controversy. I just feel like the Lord wants us to take this concept of worship. You know, last um, two weeks ago, I, I taught a little bit about a religious spirit and a rebellious spirit and how that as a church, we want to kind of push that religious spirit away, right? We want to be a place where sometimes there's controversy about worship. You, you know, the first really controversy that happened in history was about worship, and it happened when Lucifer tried to change up the worship, tried to get people to worship him instead of God. And that same thing has been going on, controversy in churches. Well, if we do it this way, or you sing those kind of songs, or if you have lights or you don't have lights, or, you know, it used to be you can't have drums in church, and then, or it was no instruments in church, it's all a cappella. And for centuries, there's been controversy, there's been frustration about worship, and I believe it's the enemy trying to stop the church from coming together and do what God has called us to do, and that is to worship Him. And so I want to take this theme, and I want to continue it on for a couple weeks. So I want you to close your eyes. Lord, we want to be people who lift you up, who exalt your name. So God, have your way today. Lord, raise up within us a passion to lift holy hands and to worship you. In Jesus' mighty name, come on, somebody shout amen. Amen. You may be seated today. Thank you. I want to take a story in the Bible, and I want to share it with you and I want to pull out some truths but if I were to give a topic this morning for this idea of lifting worship to God it's simply this thought and that is that worship is a window everybody say that with me worship is a window and if you want to come next week because we're going to take it the next step and we're going to learn that worship is a weapon 
Let's go to the story that's found in Acts chapter 16. What's taken place is that God has prophetically spoken to Paul that he's supposed to go into this region, Asia Minor, and he's supposed to present the gospel. So he shows up in the first city that he gets to, and while he's there ministering, there's basically demonic opposition to what he's doing. I'm going to tell you that whenever you start a journey or a path for God, how many know that the enemy will come against that path and that journey? There's a woman who kept following Paul around to all of his meetings, and she kept disrupting the meetings. She was shouting out. She was demon-possessed. And so finally, he turns to her, and he says, in the name of Jesus, I command that demon to come out. The demon comes out. Once the demon comes out, she's not able to be a psychic anymore. And because of not being able to be a psychic, she can't make money for um, the, the businessmen that are kind of using her for that purpose. So they stir up this major issue in the city and they accuse Paul and Silas falsely of things. They're beaten and they're thrown in prison. And it's in prison that we pick up on our story. Acts chapter 16, verse 25 to 26. It says this. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. I love that. They had just got beaten. They're in prison and they go, I think this is a great time to have a worship service. Come on. <laughs> what would our life be like if we had that kind of spirit and attitude, right? Around midnight, they're not shamed. Everybody's supposed to be asleep. They don't care. Let me just stop and say, how awesome would it be if we just got to a place in worship where we didn't care the timing, we didn't care what anybody thought because we know God is worthy and we want to lift his name. How many, how many think things would change in our city and our world if we would be people that worshiped like that? So they begin to worship and all the other prisoners were listening. I love that because it meant that their worship was inviting. It was attractional. These men could have been sleeping that were in prison, but instead they were drawn to something. What do you mean? They're singing songs of worship to God and they just got beaten and they're in the dungeon? What? And they were drawn in. I think the world would lean in a little more to God if you and I would be a person who knows how to worship. Then it says, suddenly, after they worshiped, there was a massive earthquake and the prison was shaken to its foundation. All the doors immediately flew open and the chains of every prisoner fell off. Can I just stop and say, listen, worship isn't just for you. Worship is for those around you. I'm going to talk about worship a little bit today, but I want to start with a thought and I want to give you point number one. If you're taking notes, write this down. Point number one is simply this. A window makes a difference. A window makes a difference. You know, my wife and I, Devette, went to New York a few weeks ago. When we got to New York, we were there we were visiting a couple churches that we wanted to connect with, see how they did ministry, meet with their leadership team, went to Hillsong, New York, um, also went to Brooklyn Tabernacle and had a chance to meet with some of the pastoral staff at both places and the lead pastor at Brooklyn Tab. While we were there, it was a kind of a cool time, but at the same time we were there, we also happened to be there when the Detroit Lions were playing the New York Giants for Monday Night Football. How many know that sometimes that it's awesome when a plan comes together? Come on. <laughs> And so while we were there, we, we got out of the, the car that had taken us from the hotel. We went with some friends and we got to this really nice hotel. It was really close to, um, um, you know, uh, Times Square. It was literally a couple blocks away. It was just a few blocks away from um, the, the big, what's that big in the middle of the city? Central Park. Thank you very much. 
It was near Central Park. It was just like perfectly located, beautiful place, nice hotel. We come in, the lobby's nice, and we're all excited. We go up to our room. We're like, this is going to be so cool in New York City. And, and we get to our room, we open the door, put the little card in the, the little thing on the wall, and the lights come on. And at first, we have this moment of like, wow, this is nice. I mean, it's really pretty. It's just beautiful. And then we had another moment. And the moment was, it's really small. It's a nice room, but it's a little nice room. <laughs> and, and we started looking around and we're like, well, gosh, and literally when you came out of the bathroom and you had to go to the other side of the bed, you kind of had to go out of the bathroom and go like this to get past the bed, around the bed to get into the bed. It was a nice room, but it was just really small. And at first, Devet was like, I don't know if I can do this, Jared. I, I'm not used to, you know, I don't like tight places. This is this is going to make me claustrophobic. It's, and as she's talking, the room is getting smaller and smaller and smaller. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And now not only is she starting to freak out, I'm starting to freak out. And, uh, and then suddenly I'm like, well, wait a minute. And I look over and there along one of the walls, the entire wall had a curtain. And right next to it, half of a wall had a curtain. So I'm like, well, hang on. And so I run over there and I grab the curtains and I like, and I throw them back. And as I do, both of us, and, and we pulled the other one back, and both of us kind of went, our jaws dropped, and we were like, and there in front of us was kind of a skyline of New York City, just hotels, and it was amazing. In fact, if you looked out, you could see off to the right, the Hudson was on the right river. And it was amazing that room started getting bigger. It started getting nicer. And we quit talking about getting a different room because a window makes a difference. In fact, we know that, and here's why we know that. Because in the criminal system, if we really want to do some damage to someone who's done something wrong, we don't leave them in their cell. We take them out of their cell and put them in solitary confinement in a room where there are no windows. Because we understand that a window makes a difference. If you read the story here, here's what you discover. They didn't put Paul and Silas in a room with a window. They put him in the innermost dungeon. That means they put him down in the center of the, the prison at the very bottom level where literally sewage was most likely coming up from the floor. And it wasn't like the, the, the you know, Prisons we have today with all the bars and the windows and the place where you'd go out and get to play sports and do stuff and work out and get all buff. And No, they were down in a place where literally the, the, the doors were made of very thick wood and then they had a large piece of wood that sat in a slot that stopped the door from opening. So literally they were in the center of the prison at the very bottom in a room with no window. Because if you really want to hinder someone... You take away a window because a window matters. I believe that the devil was trying to put them in a place without a view. Because God had called him to go into this region and take the gospel. Now notice, it just so happens that the enemy, the devil, literally is stirring up problems and causes Paul and Silas to end up in a place where there is no view, there is no window, almost as if to say, if I can stop you now, I can stop you from the whole region experiencing the gospel. Because you see, just like Paul, I think the devil wants to take away your window. 
And he'll use circumstances and situations in life. And here's why. Because he understands a biblical principle. And what is the biblical principle? Where there is no vision, the people... You see, if the devil can rob your vision, if he can take away your window, he knows that you won't thrive. He knows that you won't fulfill your purpose. He knows that you'll never step up and complete the assignments and things that God has for your life. So the devil will try to rob your view. He'll try to take your window. He knew that if he could rob Paul of his vision to go to the the region, if he could stop him and take his view, his vision away, maybe he could stop the whole thing from happening. And you know what? As I begin to think about it, there are people that are in this room, people that are joining us in San Francisco, all over Los Angeles County, Colorado, wherever you are. And today you're sitting in a room that the enemy has placed you in. Maybe it's a room of divorce. Maybe it's a room of credit card debt that's so high you don't ever know how you're going to climb out. Maybe you've made a mistake or made a horrible failure. So when it comes to the vision and the ministry that you feel God's called you to, now you've been placed in a position where there is no vision, there is no window, and the devil has got you right where he wants to be because if there is no vision, the people perish. The devil wants to steal your window. So you're like, wow, this is exciting, Pastor Jared. Awesome. So glad I came to church today. You see, a window makes a difference. But let me give you point number two, and I want you to write this down, and that is a window makes a difference. But the second one is worship opens a window. Worship opens a window. Let me show you in the story (coughs) what what happened. Acts chapter 16, it says, suddenly, now remember, they began to worship. There was no window. They couldn't see. But yet in the midst of that situation, they, they became a worshiper. And as they began to worship, suddenly there was a massive earthquake and the prison was shaken to its foundation. All the doors immediately flew open and the chains of every prisoner fell off. The jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open. He assumed the prison had, prisoners had escaped, so he drew his sword to kill himself. But Paul shouted to him, stop, don't kill yourself, we're all still here. The jailer called for lights, and he ran to the dungeon and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. It's interesting because they began to worship, and suddenly this situation that they were in where they had no vision, where they couldn't see anything, now suddenly a window. It wasn't really a window, it was a door, but the point I'm making is that an access, an opening came into a place. They started to see something that they hadn't seen before because here's the point I want to make about worship. Worship changes things. In fact, let me say it this way. When you are in God's presence, it puts things in perspective. See, when it comes to worship, sometimes we think that, that, that God is some egomaniac, that he's in heaven and he's just like, worship me. You didn't know that God spoke like Elvis, did you? He, hey, you need to worship me because I'm worthy. Thank you. Thank you very much. God is not just some egomaniac that wants your worship. Listen, God doesn't want you to worship because he needs it. He doesn't worship, not want you to worship um, because, you know, he's, he's, he's just desiring. Listen, the reason God wants you to worship is because he knows that it's not good for him. It's good for you. He knows what happens when we worship. 
You see, I've spent a lot of time over the years talking about the house of worship. We've gone through the Bible of lifting hands, singing songs of praise. We, we've talked about kneeling before the Lord. We've talked about being still and knowing that he is God. We've looked through the different methods of worship, right? lifestyles of worship. Today, I want to take a minute and talk about one of the whys of worship. And what we need to understand is that when Paul and Silas was in that prison and they couldn't see and they had no vision, suddenly their worship opened a door, opened a window, and now watch what they saw. They saw a man who was about to kill himself. Now, why was he going to kill himself? He was going to kill himself because if you were a jailer in those days, according to the custom, you made a commitment in your contract that if you lost a prisoner, they could take your life. So what he was really saying is he was saying, listen, they've escaped. I'm going to die anyways, so I might as well leave on my own terms. Rather than being put in a prison for who knows how long, being beaten and, you know, ridiculed and mocked and, and maybe slowly tortured to death, I'm just going to end it right now. And suddenly, watch what happens. Because when you get in the presence of God, your perspective changes. Paul looks out there and here's what he sees. He sees a man about to kill himself. He sees this window, this, this perspective opens because of worship. And now what hap- watch what happens. He doesn't say, shh, be quiet, Silas. This is our chance. God's breaking us out of prison. This is a Holy Ghost jailbreak. (laughs) Hang on. Take notes because we're going to do a TV show when it's all done. (laughs) Holy Ghost jailbreak. He didn't say that. In fact, what happened was is he realized something. That there was a man who needed freedom just as much as he did. But it was a different kind of freedom. Because the presence of God changes our perspective. And now instead of worrying about his earthly situation and his carnal circumstances, because of worship, his mindset changed where he saw that there was somebody else who needed a miracle, somebody else who needed freedom. And now suddenly someone else's freedom was more important than his physical freedom because the presence of the Lord changes our perspective. You see, worship opens a window. I may not be able to change my location, but I can change my perspective. Some of you are like, well, Pastor Jared, you're kind of taking a lot of liberty out of that little story. Are you sure that there's a, this idea of a, a, a opening of vision, a changing of perspective in God's presence? Well, let's take a look at another verse. I love this verse found in Psalm 30 or 73. He says, when I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me. He was contemplating in this psalm about how the wicked are blessed, it seems like, and how that they live long and how they prosper. He didn't understand and he couldn't reconcile it. He couldn't understand exactly what was going on until I went into the sanctuary of God. You see, when I went into a place of worship, when I went into a place of God's presence, watch what happens. Then I, what's the next word? Then I what? understood their end. You know what the word understand there in the, in the Hebrew means? It means to see, but it also means to perceive. There are things that you will never see until you get in the presence of the Lord. There's a perspective of life, of situations that you'll never understand until you learn to be in the presence of the Lord. Because when we worship Him, His presence is there. In fact, let me just say it this way. You see, perception determines reception. Can I say that again? Perception 
determines reception. There are some things we can't receive until we're in a position to perceive them. And God's presence changes. It causes us to perceive, to understand things, to see things differently. For example, for some of us, if you only perceive Jesus to be a carpenter, then all he'll ever do is be able to fix your home. If you perceive Jesus as, you know, someone who was, uh, uh, gave a good educational lecture, all he'll ever be able to do is to give you a lesson. If you perceive Jesus as, as a religious leader, all he'll ever be is a religious leader and all you'll ever experience is a religious experience in your relationship with God. But if you perceive him to be a healer, some of you just might experience his healing. If you perceive him as a deliverer, some of you may not stay in that addiction or that bondage because he is a deliverer. If you perceive him as a savior, some of you will have your sins forgiven because perception determines reception. Come on, somebody say amen. What do you perceive? See, the devil wants to take away your window, but if he can't take it away, he'll try to distort it. See, if he can take your vision, if he can't take your vision away, he'll try to distort your vision. That's why worship's so important. I, I, I was thinking of a story when I was young. We, we moved when I was 14 years of age to Selma, California. Selma was a large Hispanic population. I think it was 80% of the community was Hispanic. A lot of Spanish-speaking individuals. And you know, it was kind of rough. There were some rough neighborhoods in Selma. And we had some gangs in Selma. We had the Soreños, which were the gang in the, the south side. And we had Norte. So we had the gang in Norte on the north side. We had Soreños on the south and, and uh, everybody ate tacos at the same time. It, it, was, it didn't matter. And everybody loved Mexican food. How many love Mexican food? Come on. Hey, Amen. They're going to serve that in heaven, by the way, if you didn't know that. And it's going to be all protein, no carbs. Come on. Somebody say amen. Woo. And you won't get gas when you eat the beans. Come on. Somebody say amen. Hallelujah. Woo. Let's move on. I'll just get, take it. We'll move on from there. So I'm, I, I, I'll be honest with you. I was kind of this, this ruddy, small, chicken, white guy who was scared of the gangs and scared. And, and what was interesting is we live on the north side where the Norteños gang was. And, and we lived in the parsonage, which is right next door to the, the, the church. The parsonage was a house owned by the church. And part of the compensation for the pastor was a place to live. And so you would live in that home. But when you live next to the church, it puts you in a high risk for crime. Because a church was a great place to steal stuff. They had sound systems and computers and stuff that people would, you know, get and then sell out of a truck. And so, you know, we were, you know, concerned because we would have crime. In fact, they've had at that church multiple break-ins, multiple things stolen. And so I'll never forget, I was 14 years old. I was new in the city. I was kind of a chicken and I'm laying in bed. And as I'm laying in bed, my window faced kind of the, the courtyard of the church on the backside, which if someone was gonna break in, that's where they would do it. And as I'm laying there, suddenly out of the corner of my eye, I see the shadow of a head look in the corner of my window and then go back. And I freaked out. I'd like to say I was a man of faith and I'm strong and 
not fearful. I was a chicken. <laughs> C-H-I-C-K-E-N, Chick-fil-A chicken. Come on, that's what I was. I was scared to death. And I was laying there and I started going through all these scenarios like, oh, no, what's going to happen to me? They're going to they're gonna pillage my family and kill us. And this is horrible. What am I going to do? And I'm like, we well, need to run to my dad. And then I realized my dad's like five, eight, 150 pounds. It's not going to help any. And I'm like, what are we going to do? And, and so I'm like kind of freaking out and I'm laying there. I'm awake, but trying to act like I'm asleep. And then I'm like, well, maybe I can get a better view. So I kind of do one of those, you know, I'm going to turn over in my sleep moments so, so I can get a look. So I, I, I got to tell you, I did not deserve an Academy Award. It was probably the worst, uh, you know, uh, sleeping impersonation that you've ever seen. And I kind of do the, I roll over like this and try to catch a view and can't see anybody. I'm freaking out. And finally, I'm like, you know what? Everybody goes to the bathroom in the middle of the night. So I'll just get up and go to the bathroom. And then, I, then I'll, I'll be safe. I can run. I can, you know, I can call the police, whatever. So I get up, go to the bathroom. And as I walk out the door, I run down the hall, run around to another room where I can peek through a different window and see who's there. And as I ran down the hall and I went and I peeked and looked around the corner, I saw it. It was a bush that was <laughs> blowing in the wind. And as the wind would hit the bush, it would... Because of where the light was, it was just perfect and it hit the, the, the tree right when it leaned in a certain direction and it was in the shape of a head and it was right in the corner of my window. I was freaked out for an hour for nothing because where you stand determines what you see. I'm going to say that again. Where you sit determines what you see. You realize that I see something different than you see because I'm on a platform. And when we're at a higher level, our perspective is different than when we're sitting down. I can see things that you can't see because where you sit is, it d- determines what you see. And, and what I understand is that in life, what we don't realize is that God wants to open a window. He wants to change your perspective. In fact, did you know that you have a really good seat? In fact, the scripture says it this way, that you've been seated in heavenly places, that, that God has positioned you. And what God is wanting you to do is to gain a new perspective so that when you're looking through the window of life, you're not laying on bed in your bed scared to death at what's going to happen, but you're looking from a different position because you see that God is with you. Here's what's cool about worship. The Bible says that when we worship him, he inhabits the praises of Israel. Psalm 22, 3. What that means is, is that the people of God, when they praise, and by the way, the word praise there is the word tehillim. And the word tehillim means that we sing a song that's spontaneous of praise to God. It's not a ritual, it's not a routine, but it's singing praises to God. And the Bible says that when we do that, God is enthroned. The word enthroned there means, guess what? To sit down. God literally sits in the praises of his people. Now let me say, for those of you that want to theologically have a quick conversation, God is everywhere. He's omnipresent. So he's already here. But what happens is, is even though he's here, the problem is too often we don't see him. 
Because all we can see is the divorce we just went through. All we can see is that we may not have enough money to get through the end of the month because we got more month than we have money. Or we, all we see is that I just got a diagnosis that scared me to death. All we see is that someone is accusing us. All we see is that, oh, well, I don't know what's going to happen in the economy in the future, so I better store up everything I have. But you see, what you need to understand is that when we become a worshiper, suddenly our perspective changes and we realize that in the middle of our cell, there is a God that is sitting there with us who is big and strong and mighty and he is able to do anything. Because you see, if the devil tries to distort your window, God knows. If he tries to distort your vision, God knows that when you become a worshiper, the seating chart changes. And you realize you're not sitting alone. You're not in a cell all by yourself. That you have an omnipotent, all-powerful God that is sitting right there with you and that maybe the cell you're in is not there to keep you caged up, but to position you to see that God wants to use you to set somebody free. Worship opens a window. Come on, somebody say amen. amen. Last thing is that windows open up access. Windows open up access. If you read the story in Acts chapter 16, it says, then he brought them out. Everybody say, brought them out. And asked, sir, what must we do to be saved? He runs and he falls before them and says, hey, I want to be saved. What, what do I need to do? Now, maybe he was thinking that the saving was saved from his bosses killing him because he thought people had escaped. But there, there came a moment where he realized they're all there. So what's cool is, remember we read a moment ago that when they worshiped, everybody's chains fell off? You realize that somebody else had a perspective change from someone else's worship. That's why we want you to bring people to God's house every Sunday. Because we know that if you can just get them in the presence of the Lord, they'll start to see things they never saw before. And they'll say like the jailer, what must I do to be saved? I want to think about eternity. I just want to, don't want to think about now. I want to think about eternity for me and my whole household. I want to think about eternity for everyone that's in my life. That's why our worship's so important. That's why when we gather and we sing, why? Because in the presence of the Lord, there is freedom, right? In the presence of the Lord, he opens our eyes to see new things. The Bible says that they brought them out. And asked, sir, what must I do to be saved? And they shared the word of the Lord with him and with all who lived in his household. Even that hour of the night, so now they've just walked out of their prison cell, but they're still in the prison. He begins to, to share with him Jesus. And even that hour of the night, the jailer cared for them and washed their wounds. Then he and everyone in his household were immediately baptized he brought them into his house and set a meal before them, and he and his entire household rejoiced because they all believed in God. Windows open up access. When I was, um, I'm going to end with this. I want the worship team to come. When I was young, we would go to camp. How many of you went to church camp when you were young? And how many of you, when you were in church camp, snuck out of the cabin window in the middle of the night to go do some fun and crazy things. Come on, wave at me. There's all these holy people here in this church. 
breathe, they don't understand, do they? We're going to have a prayer line. If you could pray for me after service, I'd appreciate it. We would sneak out. And we would sneak out, we'd do crazy stuff. Take all the toilet paper out of the bathrooms of the girls. Well, I won't go into it. There's a whole lot of things. In fact, you know, the Bible says that, that, uh, that there's a generational curse that what you do that, you know, your children end up can do worse, that we need to break the generational curse. I think my son's got that generational curse because at camp, they've done some crazy things. I'm just teasing. There's no curse. He's blessed. So what we would do is sometimes we would sneak out the window to go have fun. And sometimes we would convince the snack shack workers to bring us food in the middle of the night because we want to stay up and have a good time. What was cool is the window was the access point. It was the way to get out and it was the way to get in. You know what's really cool is in the story, when they began to worship, God opened a window. And you know what ended up happening? It allowed the blessing in. Because the Bible says that while they were in the prison, the jailer started mending their wounds. Could it be that God is waiting to mend your wounds, but he's also waiting for a window to do it? Now, I don't want to get over theological with it. God can do whatever he wants to do, but I will tell you this. What I find is that when we become worshipers, I found that over the years, there are times that I feel a, a great burden Sometimes that burden can be when we were looking for property or to buy a, build a church to find a place. And I felt this burden, like, God, we've got to find it. I don't know what to do. Or maybe we've had people attack me as a leader or our church and bring accusation against us. Or maybe we've got a building and now we've got to raise millions of dollars. And I'm thinking, God, how are we going to raise all this money to, to get into this, this building? What are people going to think? They're going to you know, think we just want money. But God, we've got to do what you called us to do. And sometimes they'll be carrying these burdens. And I've got to tell you something. You know what I've discovered? And when I've been walking around carrying that burden, if I'll just stop and put on my phone some worship music. I'll tell you a good one. It's called For Your Kingdom <laughs> by Higher Vision Church. Come on, somebody. I got to tell you, I'll go off on my run. I'll put my headphones in and I'll just start singing. He is here. He is here, hallelujah, God is here. And man, it's like a window opens. And it's like God just kind of comes through that window and he just starts lifting the burden. And suddenly I don't feel the weight anymore. Suddenly I don't, I don't feel that. I, instead, I just feel this peace because worship opens a window. And when you get in the presence of the Lord, it changes your perspective. 
God is wanting to reach through your cell. He's wanting to reach through your trial. He's wanting to reach through your cares. He's wanting to reach through your questions. And he's wanting to bring the healing that Paul and Silas had. He's wanting to bring that to you in your heart. But I'm telling you, one of the important parts is that we have to do our part, which is to say, God, I thank you. I trust you. I praise you. I worship you. Holy is your name. I'm going to lift my hands. I'm not going to get caught up in what song we're singing and whether the lights are really cool or they're not cool or whether there's haze or there's not haze or whether we sing a hymn or we sing a brand new song or I'm not going to get caught up in, in what kind of song should we sing and instead Lord I'm just going to use this as an opportunity to praise you even though I'm hurting right now and my back is in pain from all of the beatings I've taken in life and even though the, the, the chains are shackling me down and I just can't seem to do what I want to do and even though I can't see through this wall I can't see through to what you've called me to do I'm going to put my faith and trust in you and I'm going to worship you I'm going to tell you when you do that worship opens a window and that window becomes an access for God to come in in fact what does he say he says in Malachi look at this he says if you worship me by bringing the whole tithe and the offering into the storehouse when you you realize that when we take tithes and offerings and we receive that together it's worship that was how the people of God worshiped and when you come and you begin to worship what does God say I'm going to open a, a what? A window from heaven. And I'm going to come through the window and bring blessings that you can't even contain. God is wanting to reach into your world with blessing. So God wants us to know that worship is a window. I'm going to give you one last thought. How many let me have one last thought? Not only does a window allow the blessing in, it also allows the one in bondage out. Do you realize what happened? The Bible says that the jailer led him out of the prison back to his house. I just want to make one thought, one point, and that is, too many of us are trying to break out of what God is willing to bring us out. You're fighting for something he wants to give you. You're trying to pay for something that he's already paid for. And when you begin to worship, you'll discover that the battle isn't yours. The battle belongs to the Lord. And instead of fighting in your own strength and trying to do it on your own, when you begin to worship, you start to realize, whoa, holy moly, I've got the God of the universe sitting right here with me in this cell, and he will lead you out of what you fought so hard to break out of on your own. God has the power to set you free. He has the power to bring you out, and worship is the window that will create the access, not just to bring the blessing in, but to bring you into the freedom that God has designed for you. Somebody say amen. Amen.